My name is Erin Weideman, and you are listening to Heroes for Her. This series features candid conversations with real women who strive to balance their professional acumen with their personal values. Join me as I interview positive female role models who are working hard, loving others, and inspiring the next generation of girls to serve their unique purpose. Before we get to today's episode, I've got one quick announcement. We are seven days away from the release of Deborah, the fifth and final book in the Bible Bells Heard series. There is still a little time to pre-order, and when you do, you will receive our seven-day devotional. It's uh, seven days of games, activities, memory verses, lots of different fun things to do around the book, and it is totally free when you pre-order, but that offer is ending soon, guys. So our official launch day for Deborah is March 15th. It's in one week. And you can check out the book trailer and pre-order the book in the same place online. And that site is www.biblebells.com slash Deborah. Enjoy today's episode with Arlene Pelicane. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Heroes for Her. My guest today is Arlene Pelicane. Arlene is a speaker, author, media personality, and a blogger. She has written six books, including one of my favorites, Growing Up Social, which she wrote with Dr. Gary Chapman. Arlene has appeared on The Today Show, Focus on the Family, Fox and Friends, and Family Life Today, among many, many others, and she's also written for several national magazines. She is a graduate from Biola and Regent Universities, and before becoming a speaker and an author, a wife and a mom, she served as a features reporter for The 700 Club and associate director for Turning Point Television with Dr. David Jeremiah. Arlene is a neighbor to me in sunny San Diego, and she makes her home with her husband, James, and her three kids, Ethan, Noel, and Lucy. Arlene, welcome to Heroes for Her. So fun to be with you, Erin. So last time I saw you in person, we were at MomCon in, in Kansas City, Missouri. Yep. And since then, you have been dealing with some issues around your voice and your ability to talk. So are you okay? And what's going on? I am okay. You know, three months ago, I got laryngitis, and I thought two weeks of voice rest would do it, and I, I typed out little messages to my kids, and I walked around with a dry erase board, and my friends were like, this is the life. Like, I wish I had laryngitis, because no one could ask me questions. I could just, like, write out things. But after a while, you you want your voice back, and basically, I just had a lot of pain and wasn't getting better, so I was guarding my voice because I was afraid, because I thought it's going to get hurt more. We ran all different types of tests with the doctors and basically did this for three months, and at the end of the three months, with lots of prayer, we got the answer we were looking for with a new doctor. You know, we were just basically ruling out things, acid reflux, what is this, you know, and basically the right therapist, speech therapist, and the right doctor who prescribed a medicine that helped me tremendously. And it really showed me like when you're parenting, you can go along blindly for a long time, kind of like not working on all cylinders just because you don't have the right information. And so it showed me that, wow, when you don't have the right information, pray because God's going to open that up to you. And then the value of having trusted advisors, people who have done gone before you, you know, and so I think it's so neat that your podcast listeners listen because they're trying to gain wisdom. And if you can get that, it just helps your life so much more. So I am talking now for two weeks and coming back. 
I love it so much. I wanted to ask you too, like, okay, so you had this period where you were struggling yeah. to speak, you're writing messages to your kid. Like I, I mean, even just as you describe it, it sounds so incredibly frustrating, right? <laughs> right. So you're spending time in prayer. Like you're like, okay, God, like my, you know, the work that I do is around speaking and, and going out and, you know, hosting a workshops of, and talking to people, a lot of talking. Right. Yeah. And right. like, what was God showing you during this season of, okay, no, you can't speak. You're just going to be, you know, kind of internalizing I don't know your your conversation yeah. even with him like what was he showing you it was it's been very good and I think it still will continue trust you know do you trust me do you trust that I've got this covered uh, do you trust the ministry like so for instance we can get caught up in our jobs right thinking we're oh we're so important we're so important <laughs> and then realizing like no you're really not that important you can cancel everything and life will go on without you so really getting that more humble sense of self that it's not all big and grand and then and really asking sometimes the question if you didn't have this. So let's say you've got this amazing career or an amazing title or you've gotten an award or whatever it is in your life. If you didn't have that, would that be okay? You know, and coming, you know, kind of feeling like, oh, if I didn't get to speak or if I had to go a different direction, would that be okay with me? And I think those are good questions to ask just to make sure that we're not too heady and we're not too into ourselves. So for me, it was like that kind of readjustment and also a simplification because all of a sudden I couldn't do stuff. So it's like the calendar got more bare and that was actually really nice to pare down for a season. So I also believe it was a kind of a God-given rest to say, I'm going to slow down for a little bit. And it's actually informed me to think, wow, maybe I shouldn't take on so much on my plate in the future. So it simplified trust, uh, the power of prayer the power of community, P people at church would say, Arlene, we're praying for you. And they were so concerned. And that was all very touching to me. Oh, that's so cool. And I, I love that. Um, I love that because God can work when we're doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's, and, he, and he totally does. And the things that God can do while we're resting are a lot of times a lot more than we could do if we were right. just grinding and trying to like overload our schedule with all this stuff and you having to learn that, not the hard way, but just really being in a season of simpl simplicity yes. and um, letting him do his thing. It's so cool. Um, so I want to give people a little insight into just why I love you so much. And I'm so excited that you're here. So you and I met a couple of years back at an event at the Rock Church in San Diego, and you were hosting a parenting workshop, and it was all about families and technology. And I, I mean, I was there, I had a little Bible book, a Bible balls table, and we had one title. I mean, this was long ago. And I, but I went and I attended the event as a, an, an audience member. And I was sitting in the audience, having never heard you speak. I mean, never had been introduced introduced to you in any sort of a way. And I'm sitting in the audience just writing copious notes and te texting my husband, which you're not supposed to do in church, and <laughs> just saying, oh my gosh, the woman that is speaking at this workshop is just speaking directly into my soul about families and tech and screen time, like practical tips and tools for how your family can survive this like tech-filled world we live in. And it was such a good event. But I wanted to ask you, because we're going to get into you know families and technology and the entire conversation conversation today. Why did you feel inspired even just years ago to start writing on this particular subject? What's really funny is it was um, the publisher, Moody Publishers and Dr. Gary Chapman, who approached me saying, would you like to do a book about technology? 
And when anything with Dr. Gary Chapman <laughs> comes your way, he's the author of The Five Love Languages, you pretty much say, look up to the heavens and say, wow, God, what an opportunity. I would love to do this. And really what it became was my family, you know, we were the weird family. You know, my kids are in third grade, sixth grade, and eighth grade, and we all go to public school in Southern California, so they're exposed to a lot of things, but we've never had, we're the family that never had the TV in the house, that has the rabbit ears out to watch the Olympics, like we are that crazy, weird family. And what we have found is so many of the problems that our peer families were having we were not necessarily having because we weren't having these technology battles all the time. And so having the opportunity to say, okay, technology can be part of your life as a family, but it really does not, your family does not have to revolve around the Wi-Fi in your home. And that message became very impassioned in our hearts. And then the book Growing Up Social gave us a venue to do that. So it was really something that approached me that I'm very grateful for because I think now that things just in the last few years, I mean, you know, 15 years ago, people were not talking about this. So this is something very fast, something that really has altered the family. And so to be able to talk to people about this, I think is really, really important. See, and when I was a full-time teacher, I, those were the questions I dealt with most often, not just mm-hmm. with students, but with parents and the people who are, who are in, in home trying to deal with this issue of technology. How much time is too much time online? Should my kids be playing video games? Like, you know, why is the phone right. make, putting my kids in a bad mood? Um, yes. you know, sh- what, what social sites should they be on? Should they not be on? And it goes on and on and on. So I wanted to just ask you, I mean, in the research that you, that you've done over the last couple of years regarding families and technology, can you just, and, and, and you can even pull them from the workshop that I saw, you know, we've got a lot of parents listening who are, who have kids in that pre-phone or they just got a phone season of life. Like, can you just share a couple of practical tips and tools that that you feel like would be relevant for this conversation of parents who are just going, yes, I know this struggle exists, but like, where does my family fit into this mess, which is what yeah. it feels like a lot of the time. I think you have to, as a parent, whether you have a five-year-old or you have a 15-year-old, you've got to become a bit more suspicious about technology because the norm is we're just embracing, embracing, embracing. It's like we're updating our life. We want to be like on the cutting edge. But I just want to encourage you to be more skeptical. And this is what I mean by this. I don't mean you can't have a phone or you can't use a computer. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need to to visualize these devices with a piece of police caution tape across them. And to realize that these programmers, video game programmers, social media programmers, they're not here just to give your child, uh, you know, a little educational 10 minutes. They're there to try to addict your child as soon as possible so that they will check their phone over and over and over again, play that game again and again and again, because it, it involves revenue. It involves dollars. And so to realize that this is not neutral, there are, uh, there's this amazing book, uh, called Irresistible, The Rise of Addictive Technology by Adam Alter. And in it, he talks about how Behind that computer screen, there's a thousand really smart people trying to engineer the most addictive experience possible. You know, there's a reason that the average high school girl texts 4,300 times a month, which is equals 138 texts a day. Now, the more we get into this, the more as a parent, we're going to feel like, oh, that's just normal. 
But let's think about that. That is a lot of time (laughs) spent texting. And I remember seeing a girl in youth group. My son is friends with her younger brother. So I was like happy to meet her. I was like, oh, you know, I've heard, I know your brother. And she was very sweet, but she's sitting all alone in a big youth group room just with her phone all alone. And so we're striking up this conversation. And then I say to her, well, let me introduce you to my family, like my husband, my girls, my little girls. And she got so nervous, um, Aaron, and she was like, no, I don't want to meet them. I don't want to meet them in person. That would be so embarrassing. And I'm like, my family's really friendly. They won't scare you. I promise. She's like, no, no, no. I just can't do that. And what we see over time is like, wait a minute. Why can girls, boys, why can't they just interact like socially these are not high pressure situations it's not a job interview right this is not difficult you know and so I think as a parent we really have to say what is the average doing okay the average child is on their phone computer whatever eight plus hours a day Uh, the average child is going to play 10,000 hours worth of video games by the time they turn 21 and we have to say wait a minute do I want an average child, do I want an adult girl that won't be able to relate in life to people that won't be able, that will be really stymied by a job interview, that will struggle with going online too much? You know, is that what I want? And so parents just know you have the power. You have a lot of authority. You, you don't just have to say, well, my kid won't do it or my kid argues or it's my kid's going to throw a fit. Well, let them throw a fit. And when I ask parents, uh, what's the thing they have, you know, with older kids, I always like to ask this question, what's the thing you wish you would have done? And a hundred out of a hundred times, it's about technology. And it's typically, I wish I would have taken away their phone at night. So for those of you with older kids who have phones, a wonderful action step is take their phones at night. Because I love to say that after 10 p.m., nothing really great is happening on that phone and nobody's going hashtag Bible study at 3 a.m. You know, it's not happening. So collect your child's phone at night. That's a great place to start with your older kids. And with your younger kids, why not consider what Bill Gates did which was not give his kids a cell phone until they were in high school, Bill Gates. So I love those tips so much. Um, You know, and I taught high school and I taught middle school for such a long time. And there was such a relationship between the kids that did have phones versus the kids that didn't have them or got them a little later. And I would hear that from parents all the time, just feeling like they were held hostage by their children Mm. because of this phone situation. And not feeling empowered as parents to go, hold on a second, I gave you that phone. If you're not using it correctly or it's it's debilitating or it's creating some right. some negative, you know, impediment in your development in some way, like I have the right and the responsibility and the great honor to lead you in this moment and to remove this temptation from you to take something away so that it's gonna it's gonna fill up and expand your life in a positive way. So I love these tips. Um, so true. And I want to switch gears here because growing up social, like I refer to that book often. It, it's something that Brent and I, I mean, we're raising an almost four-year-old who sees <laughs> us on the phone, right? So a phone is not in her near future in any stretch of the imagination. Right. However, she is learning to develop the routine by watching how Brent and I use our phones. So I want to switch gears here because your new book is called Calm, Cool, and Connected, and it is geared toward adults. And I want to talk about 
as adults, what we can do with our use of technology that will not only be healthy for us, but will also set the correct model um, mm-hmm. for the use of the phone in a positive way for our children, because ultimately that's what we want to do as parents. So what does my next question, sorry, it was a long lead in to this question, <laughs> which obviously you and your husband, you know, you probably talk about this topic often, the idea of, of how much of the phone do we use and what's appropriate in our home and how are we setting a good example? What does partnership for the two of you look like around this conversation of your family and technology use? I think a lot of it is what are we, it's like putting in the good stuff first. So it's, we don't necessarily have all these conversations about what we're not going to do. It's more conversations of this is what we are going to do. So in other words, in the routine of our family dinner time, if you know, I think nine out of 10 times, my husband's a realtor, but a lot of times he is home for dinner. And so dinner time, that's a given. No phones, no technology. This is our dinner time. Uh, We do martial arts together. So that ends up being two to three times a week where we are in a car together to and from the dojo. And then we're actually rolling on a mat together (laughs) two or three times. So there, and then there's the family bike ride that once a week we try to get on a bike ride. It doesn't happen every week, but that's a, a goal. So it's more, it's not so much like, what aren't we going to do? It's more like, what are the memories we want to create as a family? And what are the times, the quality time? So not just um, quality, like what it, but quantity, like in the week. And then what you'll see is once that's all there, you realize there's not a whole lot of time for like playing video games or watching TV because the time is being spent otherwise. So I would spin it in a positive way. Like what are the things you want to do with your kids and have you and your spouse talk about those things. And then, you know, we are not perfect. There are things that we have thought of, like let's put, let's turn off our computers at 6 PM or let's turn them off at 7 PM or 8 PM. And then invariably one of us will be on the computer and be like, Oh, we've slipped into a bad habit again. So things like that we talk about of powering down in the evening so that we can have that time with each other as a couple. And then uh, watching TV, we do it as a team sport, like we do that together so that it's not like one person's watching and one person isn't. I already told you we don't get cable, so I'm talking about the rabbit ears or like a DVD, but that's something more family-oriented. So those are some discussions we've had as a couple. So cool. And I, I love the acronym that you came up for, just some of these tips and practical I don't know, tools that you can use in your day-to-day. And the acronym is HABIT. Will you walk us through yeah. like what each letter stands for and, and some implementation for each one of those in our lives? Because all of these tips are super practical. Because that's the thing. You can read a book like Calm, Cool, and Connect and be like, yeah, I agree, and then not do anything. Right and now, it's like, <laughs> that did not really help me. So the idea is habits, having small daily habits that you change on purpose that really make a big difference. And these are very small. So H, for so the word is habit. The H is hold down the off button. So the question is here, do you have this digital binky that you must have at all times? Or are you, as a parent, as an adult, able to hold down the off button? Can you hold down the off button during mealtime? Can you hold down the off button during night so that you can get a good night's sleep? So those are some questions you can ask. And it's always great to go to bed and to wake up without your phone. So it's like not the last thing you see and not the first thing you see to stress you out in the morning. So hold down the off button on purpose. The A in habit is always put people first. And it's the idea that 
It used to be in our culture, if you walked into a room, people would like look at you at least, even in a doctor's office, and maybe acknowledge you with their eyes or nod at you or smile at you. But of course, your best friend could walk in the room and nobody moves. Everyone's just like looking down at their phone. So the idea here is always put people first, practice the pivot, which means when my loved one comes in the room, I will pivot away from my device and actually say, hi, great to see you with my eyes pivot. Always put people first. The B in habit is brush daily, live with a clean conscience. And it's the idea that the online world can very much be a murky world, whether you are shopping too much and you're in debt, whether you are watching pornography, whether your kids are Google searching something and then see something completely inappropriate. You know, it is a, a, uh, it's a dangerous place. And so to think, okay, I need to brush daily every day, Lord, I dedicate my computer use to you. I dedicate my children's computer use to you. Show me, Lord, if there's something that is that is causing sin in our family's life because of this online use. Show me. Help us to brush daily and teach your kids, you know, just the same way that they brush their teeth, that they can be thinking and confessing to the Lord, Lord, is there anything I've seen? Is there anything I've posted unkindly, rudely, anonymously, you know, that I need to to make right? So brush daily. The I in habit is I will go online with purpose. And it's the idea that, yeah, you got on the computer three hours ago and now you're like, what in the world am I doing here? You know, it's just too tempting to get distracted. So ask yourself the question, what am I here to do? And then go ahead, answer that email. Go ahead, listen to that podcast. Go ahead, watch that one show, but then turn it off. You know, so go online with purpose. And then the last one is T of habit is take a hike that get outside. So many people are not spending time outdoors. They did. I read this article that kids in the UK get less sunshine than prison inmates because the prison inmates Stop are required to go true? outside oh one hour a day. It's required that they are allowed to have sunshine. And the average child in the UK does not spend one hour a day outside. And it said something like one in nine kids had not stepped foot in a park or any kind of outdoor environment in more than a year. So it's like everyone is inside in their car, watching TV, you know, and and that's kind of frightening. I mean, just think of the normal American schedule. It's like you're in a classroom or you're in a, a room and then you go to eat and then you're in the car and then you go home and then you watch TV and then you go to bed. And so just that restorative nature that is free that God has so beautifully created, the heavens declare the glory of God. So get yourself and your kids, plan your vacation to go to a national park, like go do something outdoors. It's so good for you and for your kids. There's so much wisdom in that little acronym, and I love acronyms. But um, then my next question is, out of the five sort of steps of habit, which which letter do you find yourself not struggling with, but yeah. which one feels like the biggest challenge for you, your personality, the family dynamic, the fact that you've got multiple kids, you've got your marriage, you know, you got, you're trying to keep this is, home, you've got the business. This is easy. Yeah. At first I thought like, which I struggle with a little of each, but the one I struggle most with is I will go online with purpose because it's like you want to go and you want to be productive, but it's so much easier to check my email, to check, oh, let's see what my kid is doing in school, you know, the teacher posts a blog and you can see pictures. Oh, I can look at that. 
And all that's fine, but I can so easily waste so much time doing that. And then, oh, let's see, let's look on Amazon. I've got to pick up one thing and then, oh, I'm there longer. You know, so being more disciplined with what am I here to do and kind of this idea that I love of getting in and getting out. Like, I'm getting in, I'm doing the job, and then I'm getting out. But then I find like, you know, here we go. And it's, oh, let me check one more thing. Let me check one more thing. Let me check one more thing. It's like, where did the time go? So that's a part I would definitely like to improve. I would love to ask you, so, and and obviously like what you just described describes me. It describes a lot of parents out there. Like we use technology, you know, for our benefit. There are so many amazing things that come with having, you know, access at your fingertips to information and to, to the things that you're looking for and to shopping and all the things that we do online. Um, you know, and for us, like, I mean, what, what, encouragement, I guess, do you have for someone who is like, yes, I'm on my phone a lot. I, I understand. I want to set a good example for my children, but I, I am also, you know, guilty of some of these bad habits. Like, you know, if they're experiencing, you know, the conviction of the Holy Spirit really is like, and, and that happens with me too. Like if I'm on my phone too much, my spirit will let me know like, Hey, you really need to create some healthy separation between you and this phone. And, and regardless of if you're running a business or you have to be on the phone for your work or whatever, like if you're, if you're feeling convicted about this addiction to technology, what is some encouragement? I don't know if it's a verse or something that you could offer just for, to speak into someone's you know, I don't know the guilt and the shame associated with, oh, yes, this is how I use the phone and I want it to be different. I think, first of all, just getting that guilty feeling off and instead being empowered to say, well, what can I do different? What's a small thing that I can do? So to have hope, not to feel like, oh, I'm such a loser with this. I'll never get better at it. No, no, no. You can do this. Just think of like, what's a small step? And it might just be thinking, I'm going to concentrate on eye contact that when I'm with my family members or someone talks to me, I'm just going to work on eye contact this week that whenever someone talks to me, like I'm going to look away from my device, practice a pivot and do eye contact. And if you do that, you're going to find, well, I feel a whole lot better in my relationships too when I do that and it'll reinforce it and then that'll become a norm for you. So build these good habits until they become normal for you. And I think just that awareness that I need help in this area, that's where it starts because I think a lot of people, we use our technology, it's just part of our lives and we're like, what's wrong with this? You know, what? what's the problem here? But if we were to taste, wow, look, I'm looking my daughter in the eye and we're spending even just 30 seconds eyeball to eyeball, face to face, talking and laughing. And you realize that didn't take much time, but that really gave us a lot of relational equity. Why don't I do that more often? And then all of a sudden you can do that more. So just look for those small wins and do it on purpose. You know, I was at Biola University speaking and this young man, a college student, came up nicely dressed and he had a phone and a little leather notebook that was like exactly the same size as his phone. He carried them both bundled. And I was like, what's that notebook? And this guy, who's probably like 18 years old, he writes down in his little notebook before he like looks at his phone what he's going to do. So he'll write in his little notebook like, text so-and-so, check on Friday concert tickets, and check the weather or whatever. 
And then he does it. And then he puts his phone away. And what is what he's doing is he's building this total accuracy habit of like, I'm going to do my thing, but I'm not going to let myself get lost in this phone. And you could tell like he was an overachiever in a good way. Like he was very sociable. He's very popular. He's very accomplished, as people were telling me, in music. So all that to say, have hope that if some college kid can figure out a way to tame their phone, you and I can do it too. Oh, that's such a good practice. As someone who really loves checking, you know, items off of a to-do list, um, it makes so much sense to do that for social media or to do it for the time you are going right. to spend on the phone. That's so, so smart. Um, I love it. So Arlene, I love your heart, obviously, and I'm so excited to point people to these resources and just you and, and so much of your positivity and, and the hope that you provide families around this subject. I know I feel so encouraged. Um, we do have to wrap up and we do so at the end of every episode with something called the scoop. It is three rapid fire questions. Are you ready? All right. Yes. Okay. Question one, obviously heroes for her is the name of our podcast. We'd love heroes. When you were a little girl, who was your hero? Oh, when I was a little girl. Oh, this is a hard one. When I was a girl, my hero was my junior high pastor. His name was Dale, and he was tall and lanky with this bleach blonde hair, and he drove a VW, and he believed in me. He was he put me on the youth group council, and he gave me leadership positions, and he believed in me, and he was my hero. Second question, what is a piece of advice you've received that has impacted your life in a powerful way? The first one that comes to mind is when my husband James and I were first married, uh, we received the advice, never let the honeymoon end. And what they said was, everyone's going to say like, oh, it always ends, it always ends. <laughs> but you believe that it doesn't end because it's much better to keep staying in love than to fall out of love and then have to build it back up. So don't let the honeymoon end. Last question. If you could have a secret superpower, what would it be? Ooh, the secret superpower. I think I would want to fly. I think it'd be super cool to fly and like go places fast and that feeling of flying. It'd be like a roller coaster all the time. I think I would fly. So good. Arlene, I love having you here. Would you let us know where is the best place for the people listening to connect with you online, find out more about you, your heart and what you're doing? Yes, you can look at the book Calm, Cool, and Connected, and that is at ArlenePelicane.com. And all the books are found anywhere books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Book Distributor, etc. And I have a new book coming out in April called Parents Rising, Eight Strategies for Raising Kids Who Love God, Respect Authority, and Value What's Right. So if that sounds like the kind of kid you'd like to raise, you're, you're going to love that one coming out in April. Amen, sister. That's the kind of kid I want to raise. Thank you so much, Arlene, for being here. I love you so much. Thank you, Erin. Love you too. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed our conversation, please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, thoughts about the episode or ideas about how we can come together and support our girls, we would absolutely love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at BibleBells.com. Just let